We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. build up to the Burnley game and Arsenal aren't troubled by that pesky European competition. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex with the Blackman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. We start our life where we go into a Premier League fixture, not on the back of having traveled somewhere exotic on a Thursday, or dare I say, if you're old enough to remember a Tuesday or a Wednesday. No, just a nice, calm week of preparing to get our Ankles snapped that by Burnley players coming in way too hard and referees not protecting us. But other than that, it is a it is a new era. And I think an interesting era that we will get to analyze because this is the week where the other clubs who aren't focusing on the league, who don't take the league seriously, who don't care about the Premier League, went and played football in other countries and stuff. While we, who take the league very seriously, stayed home and prepared for it. So should be an easy three points against Burnley at the weekend as a result of that and drop points everywhere else for all those other silly teams that have to do things, including Tottenham Hotspur, who are playing, it says here, um, 11 toddlers wearing trench coats in something called the Europa Conference. So uh, thanks, everyone, for being here. Love you so much for for joining us for this Build Up to Burnley podcast. There's not a ton of news, but there's uh, some interesting conversations that we will certainly forge out of it. We've got three topics planned, so just the two hours today. That ought to be fun. I do want to mention that we are still raising money for the Arsenal Foundation, having smashed our goal. Uh, we would now like to double smash our goal. Think of it this way, right? Like, it was fun having 30 shots and three expected goals against Norwich, but just the one goal. How much more fun would it have been if it had been 30 goals? Well, I'd like to get to 30,000 pounds if we could, so please keep giving generously. ArsenalVisionPodcast.com forward slash donate. Remember, uh, going to be in London for a live event. I think it's October 18th. I should know the actual date, but I, but I don't. It's the Sunday before the Palace game at uh, the Victoria Tavern on Holloway Road. Uh, obviously, the recording part has sold out, but starting half four on that day, we will all be hanging out and drinking together. And you can watch Clive make the decision that we all wonder, will it be Sancerre? Will it be rum? Will it be an 8% lager? The World Wonders. Clive's here. He's on Twitter. Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Which will hello. it be? Uh, it'll be a lager on that day, for sure. It'll, it'll be a lager. Uh, I'm going to drink nothing but red wine, and I'm going to hold the glass with my pinky out. That's what I'm going to do. 
No. I go, I go down well in North London. Seriously, try it. <laughs> where, where, where should I do that? West London? Where, where's the place for that? Yeah, go out west. <laughs> no, okay. No, I, I, I will probably. The funny thing is, I don't do great on the lager. I, I'm, I mean, can I drink bourbon or will that be, or is that not really a done thing? It looks like I'm going to have to come along and be a bouncer for you then. So, uh, <laughs> no, no, don't do that either. Just, just lager. <laughs> just to be fair, lager. the lager's a lot better over there than it is here. I, you know, I'm, I'm talking about like Bud Light that, that tastes kind of yeah. like water if it was fizzy. So no. I wouldn't even shower, I wouldn't even shower in that. No, no, this, this is proper, this <laughs> well, is proper stuff. Proper stuff. I, I hope not because it, it wouldn't get you clean. <laughs> it's beer uh, in the loosest sense of the word. I should mention that Paul's also here and you can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Little pause. Woohoo! Uh, if you were there, what would you be drinking? Uh, oh, lager. K- keep it simple too. None of this fancy stuff. Carling. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like a bit of Stella. I know it's out of fashion in the UK with certain crowds, but I you like know, a bit of Stella. Our toys. I'm going to level with you. Neither of you guys have the commitment that I do. Obviously, all I think about 24-7 is Arsenal and the glory days. I mm. want us back in the Champions League, and mm. that's what matters to me. Clearly, it doesn't matter to you. I am going to drink nothing but Gazprom the entire time I'm there. So, mm. to, to show my commitment to the Champions League. Uh, let, let's get into this. So, all right, uh, Clive, I want to just briefly talk about the manager's comments and the buildup. I don't want to make a big thing about this. There was some reporting about a Leno outburst in training and that as a result, he's going to get picked for the North London Derby. Then you read the article and like the outburst was there was an 11 v 11 game. There's a harsh tackle. Leno was furious that the player wasn't protected with, with a foul call. And, you know, Mikel basically nonsense rubbish this report as you would expect. Um, no, he was, he's been training well, according to Mikel. He hasn't picked anyone for the North London Derby because I don't know if you know this, but there's actually two games before that. So, you know, silly. Um, so yeah, or three or so, I don't know. Anyway, um, he, he basically said, you know, when I had the conversation with Leno, he reacted like you'd expect. It was a hard conversation. He didn't enjoy it, but he supports his teammates. He's training hard and, you know, he'll fight for his place. I, I do think that, it is always interesting with the goalkeeper situation, and we slightly differ in our takes here. You think that the modern solution now is going to be two keepers that vie for their position sort of in the, the Manchester United mold, you could say right now, with Henderson backing up De Gea. Yeah. I, I think it's easier to do when you have competitions to offer. We have less to offer, and for a backup keeper at Arsenal without European competition, you can go through long stretches where you're just not in the team. Um so I'm curious how you look at now this era of moving to Ramsdale, the difference that makes, and maybe just your assessment of Leno, because I got into a little conversation on social media. I think there's a bit of revisionism. I, I, I don't think he's en- ever been anything other than a very, very good, if not elite, keeper for us. But I'm I'm open to the idea that Ramsdale can be a step up, potentially. So how do you, how do you look at that competition? Yeah, so I always go back to how I felt when Leno got injured, and I was devastated when, when he went down at Brighton. And he was our player of the season or with a Bamyang about to be one of the players of the season. So there are times when he's been very, very good. And it's only when you sort of see other keepers and how they are, that you may look at your own keeper and think, actually, we could do a little bit better. And I've always felt that Leno's a good line keeper, you know, and he's not bad on his line. And so people say he's a good shot stopper. But, you know, when Martes came in, he was far more dominant on crosses, far more dominant as a communicator. And he was a good shot stopper as well. And and he sort of looked around and he thought, oh, his distribution's quite good. He's got a lovely sign winding kick out of his hands and he throws it to the halfway line. He just saw, he looked at him and thought, okay, he's really good. Leno, equally good in his line, but some of those dominant things, presence things, he just didn't have. Martinez is also a bit emotional. He can throw the odd one in, but he did have a very, very good run of form and he did into the whole of last season. 
And I look at Lena now and I think, actually, you know, we could do a little bit more dominance in the air. We could do a little bit more dominance in a bigger part of the area. And it's just, and we could do a slightly sharper distributor, you know, and some distribution issues he's had at Burnley, shall we say, were questionable last year. And I think he's the sort of goalkeeper that sometimes when he's not playing well, you can you can sort of see it on him and it sort of makes the rest of the team a little bit, lacking a bit of assurance in him. Some goalkeepers are like that. Some goalkeepers are making a mistake and they just think, well, it wasn't me. <laughs> they just carry on exactly the same and just forget about it immediately. And I think you need that sort of mentality sometimes to throw mistakes away because when you do make one, it normally, it normally means a goal. And that's a different mentality. So I think the position of the goalkeeper has room for growth. And there are rules, almost unwritten rules about there must be a goalkeeper for the whole season and like you had it, the backup could basically be a wardrobe and no one cares, right? So, but I think there's room for, to change that. The top, top level game is very stressful and having two positions for, sorry, two players for every position, including goalkeepers, I think that's going to be the way forward in the future. I just think it is. It may not be, you know, maybe prices will dictate what you can do. You know, if you've got 70 million pound goalkeepers, no one can do that, you know. So, um, but I do think there's room to change the unwritten rules of what a goalkeeper means in your squad. I don't think it should be everybody has to fight for their place apart from the goalkeeper. And it doesn't make sense to me. And so um, yeah. I see the direction where we're going and I'm all right with it. I'm all right with it. I want good goalkeepers in our goal and fresh goalkeepers are ready to play and play well for Arsenal. And that's it for me, mate. It, it can be hard, Clive. Like, it's hard to have imagination sometimes. And I have to admit, I am guilty of inductive reasoning where I look at things I've seen before and assume that that's how things should work in the future. And <clears throat> there's not a lot of evidence that I've seen of good, really good situations that I've been close to of, of two good keepers at a club being an effective solution. I'm, you know, I'm sure there are some, maybe at like Barca or Madrid or whatever, you know, something like that, uh, maybe United a bit. But I think it also is dependent on how many games you have to offer them both. Yeah. But setting that aside, you know, the, the role of the keeper is changing. I mean, it used to be just a guy who had to keep the ball out of your net. Now it's a guy who has to facilitate how you play a little bit more. And so it is a position that maybe needs to be rethought in terms of how it works in your team. We did spend quite a bit on on Ramsdale. So, you know, I definitely think it makes sense to try to get him in there right away. Paul, it, it's an interesting one because you know that we want, that Arteta is the kind of guy that wants everyone rowing in the same direction on the boat, non-negotiables, all that. But like, I do think the keepers are a bit crazy. I mean, Jens Lehmann is is a great example of that. Uh, and in terms of whether Leno has been happy at the club, you know, he made some noises about maybe being ready to move on this summer. So I'm curious if you worry, not worry, worry is the wrong word, if you consider, because I don't worry, because I'm not, I don't That's have whiskers. Job. I you, don't have any whiskers. Look yeah. at me. Am I a joke to you? Yes. Uh, what, what's your thought on, you know, Leno, the Leno situation becoming a distraction versus just being sort of good, typical squad competition that makes everyone better? Well, first off, if you're Arteta, sometimes you like a good distraction. Um, we're in a, a reasonable uh, moment right now because we just won a game and we're we're remembering what that feels like and it picks up the mood. But it's also good to have things to talk about other than the things you don't want to talk about. Uh, goalkeepers is not the toughest. Uh, and having a choice of nominally two very good goalkeepers is not the worst thing to have to talk about in press conferences. Um, 
like when I look at this, I, I have no idea what's going on with our goalkeepers, and I'm fine with that. Something's going on. We wanted uh, David Rea the season before, and we wanted Ramsdale this time around, and they're somewhat different in terms of the profile of goalkeeper. And if you think about it, we wanted David Rea the summer we were selling Emmy Martinez. Um, which that is was the plan, odd. wasn't it, Paul? That was the plan, wasn't it? It fell yeah. down, didn't it, mate? Yeah. So, like, you look at it and you say, it's not that we didn't want to have two very good goalkeepers. Uh, we just needed them. You know, David Ray, I think, was going to be under 10 million. And Emmy Martinez was going to be, like, 20 million. And maybe that was kind of on again and off again. And by the time we sold Emmy, we needed the money. Um, so, there's probably a bit of of layers and sequencing here. But we apparently wanted to, any way you slice it, we wanted a new goalkeeper. And we maybe didn't think that Emmy Martinez, in fact, was even the profile we were looking for. I mean, it, it does get a little confusing, right? Because I think Emmy Martinez and Ramsdale uh, could have quite a lot of similarities in terms of what they bring to the team. David Ray has more a distribution. He's a little smaller. I don't know if he has the same box presence. I don't know enough about him on that side, but he, he's kind of a little closer to the ninja Onana type in my mind. The Ederson playing out from the back. Again, I'm, 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 this is very shorthand because I'm no da- David Rea expert. So we've been trying to do something here in terms of keeper change and competition for Le- Like the one thing you would say is apparently we want competition for Leno. And maybe the other thing is uh, the Cronkies are sick of established players running down their contracts, and they're not going to let that happen with Leno. And he's going to have to move this summer if he wants to be on the German national team and squad, because otherwise we'll sit him and he'll become our number two. So we know we can sell him this summer to somebody for some fee, and we won't be stuck with his wages, and we won't, and we'll get some kind of a fee for him. So that's from the Kroenke standpoint. They can sanction a keeper on just on that logic, and maybe they thought David Rea was the guy to move Leno on this summer, um, but that didn't happen. And uh, uh, Runner Runnerson was not the guy to push him out of the club, but I guess we always knew that. But it, from a football stylistic standpoint, more presence. Um, Leno is kind of the generation before this newer generation where it's all about feet and distribution. And yes, Neuer has existed for some time and is even older. I think he's 35, but he was always kind of this oddball one-off. I think Leno's done pretty good on distribution, but he's kind of gone backwards recently. Um, And I just think it's a kind of you bake that software in young and early and Ramsdale is this newer generation. And although he's not a, a, a at his feet ninja, it's just more part of his lexicon, more part of his <clears throat> expectation every game. And so we're looking to build on that. Um, so fo- football wise, I think he's more aggressive, has more of a presence, more of the Emmy Martinez thing we were looking for, uh, more shouty, uh, and more of a, maybe more of a relationship with the defense and communication. And I wouldn't poo-poo the idea that having a bit of a relationship with the crowd and getting them behind you, I don't think, I think that's a, a well down the pecking order. Why you, that's not why you get the keeper, but I think it will be a bit of a bonus and a boon given how many times, like if we take the Al Mooney example of the crowd getting all jittery 
every time something happened. It'd be nice to have the opposite, where like the crowd are rooting for you, even when you screw something up. They're kind of in your corner, backing you, understanding things. I'm going to tell you something, Mm -hmm. and and I only tell you this because I love you, and I want you to be prepared for it. If if a goalkeeper starts throwing him in his net, the the crowd's not going to stay behind him. (laughs) There is a difference between (laughs) throwing them in your net and having that reputation and having the occasional screw up, but one can become the other. Especially yeah. when you when you're getting edgy, the crowd's getting edgy. That's a negative. A actually, that's a positive feedback loop, but it, in a very negative way. And one of the things that stops that, it, for, and it's not just about the keeper, right? It's the keeper and the two centre backs. When the crowd aren't starting to uh, uh, t- get a sharp take in of breath and are pulling for you rather than dismissing you, like that helps. It doesn't. Yeah, hurt. That, look, the tension can transmit to the players. Yeah. I totally agree with that. So I, I don't want to get you yeah. know I don't want to yep. get over. I know he's he he has this shtick where he builds a bit of a relationship with the crowd. I wouldn't like to get carried away on that. It doesn't doesn't change the fundamentals. But it will be interesting to see. I mean, this will be different, and uh, we can watch it play out as a little experiment and yeah. see see if he can. Like settling the defense and having the crowd on your side at home is not the worst thing. So we'll see it's if funny. that plays out a little bit. Like for all the talk we have about who players the fans like and players the fans don't mm-hmm. like, fans like good players. Like I've, I've very, very rarely seen a case where a player is very, very good and the fans don't like him. So that's usually going to work. Uh, a couple of co- a quotes here on whether he's worried by Leno's response to not playing uh, no, that's not true. He can be frustrated, but he was top with his teammates and in team training. That's not true, as in not true that he expressed frustration. If he's had to make Leno any assurances regarding playing time, what I said to the goalkeepers and what I said to, uh, and what I said to the goalkeepers, interesting, in the last two or three years is that we don't want to do that. What we want to do is empower performance and ask them to train, behave, and play in the best possible way. How can I guarantee somebody to do something? It wouldn't make sense with what we are demanding them to do. It's on a daily basis. In football, what you did three months ago doesn't count. <clears throat> it's what you're going to do today and tomorrow, and that's it. Now, it's interesting, right? Because on the surface, I totally agree with that, Clive. And then I think about it, and I'm like, actually, I don't agree with that at all. And what I mean is, I sort of think that in football, the primary thing a manager has to do is identify who his best players are and kind of stick with them. Now, yeah, look, if you're bad for a stretch, you lose your place. I don't know if I believe that every position should be a competition in the strictest sense. I mean, it should. If someone is playing better than you, they should keep their place. But I also think that in general, if you have a player who's like supremely talented, that player should be picked more often. So I think it is a balance in terms of competition. And I bring this up because he was asked about Lacazette. Uh, on Lacazette, and if Mikel is planning as a team that won't use him, will he leave next summer? He said, no, he's fully involved. You give the reasons why he hasn't played more minutes, and he will be back to the form that he can achieve. I am sure that he will be instrumental to our success. What I want to ask you about, Claude, because I think it is a challenge for Arteta. Look, we don't have European football. I'm not sure you noticed, so I'll just bring that up. Um, and the the squad is still big enough to sort of support European football. And there are players who, especially at this stage of their career, like like Aleno, but also like uh, a Lacazette, need to be playing football, want to be playing football. Then at the other end of the spectrum, there are players that need to be playing football for the development, like Fuller and Balogun. And I think Markel is facing a, a big challenge in the sense that he can't just give guys minutes to keep them happy if better players can play in the league. You can't sacrifice the league to just keep the team happy. Ideally, you'd like to have you know Europa League or a, a, a dead rubber Champions League tie or something to do that. 
I'm curious how you think he manages this with players at both ends of the spectrum, a Lacazette, who, you know, he, you don't ideally want a player of that profile never playing, and then a Balogun who, at this stage of his career, could be facing another season in the reserves because there's not much room for him. So do you, do you think that that is, that is a challenge for Arteta this season, a, a big-ish squad and not a lot of minutes to divvy up? Yeah, the squad is is okay. It could be a little bit smaller, but it's okay. I, I look at it differently, Elliot. Um, I will always say the issue is with the player, right? So here we are, and you have to now convince everybody in the team, in the squad, and the management, and the coaching staff, that you deserve to be in the match day squad. That's the first thing you got to do. And then you got to, when you get your moments on the pitch, you got to make sure that everyone can see that you're really going to make it happen. So every minute really, really counts. And that's the environment that he wants. He wants people desperate to play. There's been a year or so in recent history where there's a number of people in our squad who don't want to play. They just want to earn their money and wait for their payoff. And I'd, I'm so glad that we've got players like Martin and Balogun desperate to play. You can see it. They're desperate to play. When they get on the pitch, they're going to do something. And that's what we want. And um, so... Yeah, I think in the last game, Martelli was due to come on, but obviously we had a couple of, you know, Mate and Niles who hadn't played since a long time, and Tommy Asu broke down a little towards the end of the game, so we didn't, we couldn't get those forward substitutes on, and we may have seen something different, you know, if it wasn't for those body breakdowns. So just just let it play out. It's very early, you know, an injury can come along out of nowhere, touch wood. We don't want to see it happen, and you'll realise the size of the squad is needed. I've never been one of these people that's first 11 obsessed anyway. You know me, the starting 11 is one thing and the finishing 11. Got you for that. I'm yeah. here for you for that. I'll cover that for you, Clark. <laughs> yeah, uh, the finishing 11 is, is, is just as important. And, uh, you know, a lots of games are won in the last quarter, right? So what you do at the end of games is really important. And that's just me, my sort of head on, you know. I, I've always felt that. And I watch other sports as well where that's a part of the mantra how you play the second half is just as important as the first half so so yeah these players have got the problem they've got to show everybody they're as good as we think they are and if you can't get that guy's shirt off his back then basically that's it and Ramsdale's a good example isn't he he's come in from day one and said I want that guy's shirt that's exactly how he got to be right and he's got in there and he's done it already he might he won't hold it but he'll get it back again and that's the sort of that's the sort of he said to me the other day, how you get how's Mikel getting on with his culture fix? Well, you fix a culture by changing the environment and changing the people within it and changing the rules of the road. And so I want more of these competitions, more of these people desperate to get in. Because that's only going to make us a more of a elite environment. That's what we all want, surely. I think it's a great point, Clive, because it is how you get people to do... It's very easy for people to have reasons. Like, if you're Leno last season, you can say, well, you know what? I don't really want to play out from the back as much as you want me to do, Mikel Arteta. You mightn't say this directly. It might just be how you behave. Uh, on the basis that our defense is not very good at it and our midfield is letting us down and I'm not going to do it as much as you want me to and there's nothing you can make me do about it. And now he, he's got a whole different problem and this is just a hypothetical, but if Arteta was frustrate, frustrated about patterns of play from, say, your keeper, that's a different problem to have been frustrated with Lacazette or Aubameyang, where you can and will switch them out in the next game. Last year, he had no options. If Leno was worried about not looking bad, 
was frustrated with our defense, thought it wasn't his problem and his fault. Um, and on the other hand, Arteta's like, I need you to go to be more aggressive from the back. And uh, Leno's like, well, I'll, I'll try harder. I will try harder, but it's down to your guys in the defense. Well, well, now he's got an option, and this was the one position he didn't have an option last year, okay. to make sure that Leno plays the way he wants him to play or somebody else will step up. The, and, you know, uh, if there's concerns about his distribution, I guarantee you Leno will be working like crazy on his distribution. Exactly. Or if, if it's concerns about not playing out from the back aggressively, taking the safer option two or three times too many in a game, well, he's not going to do that now. Whereas last season, he was more worried about maintaining his place within the national squad. Now, again, this is all hypothetical, but when you look at why you want people competing for places, people work a shitload harder when they know they can get dropped for not buying it. It's all about buy-in. And if you want your keeper to play in a particular way as opposed to compromising and meeting you halfway, give them some comp- uh, competition. Yeah, I, I still still think there's other aspects to it, but that's got to be a big part to why you do some why certain teams have two good goalkeepers to get them to to buy into the system, or they can watch from the sidelines. Yeah, just to add on that, so if you're Granite Shaka right now, a couple of weeks ago you're flying in like Concord, right, flying in to go and two foot someone, and basically. You've, you've watched the last game, and uh, two centre midfielders, you, one of them you didn't think was a centre midfielder, and the Congos appeared on the pitch. We won our first game of the season. I bet you he's running hard in training this week. I bet he's running real hard, and that's what you want, exactly what you want. And so I'm all for it. a manager who can look at it and say, where last, last season he didn't really w- see a way to play without Chaka. Uh, you know, on the manager's side, conversely, he's like, eh, you know, maybe I don't always need to pick Chaka. You know, maybe maybe I can send a little bit of a message here about uh, not dropping me in it by getting a red card, Granite. Much as I love you and need you, you know what? I I do have other options here. I don't need to rush back to you. Clive? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, some of the things we complain about with with Shaka, for example, um, some of the outside passes that Joe just into the final third to keep his final third entries that high. And we saw a lot of central passes last week. I'll tell you what, mate, he'll be central passing and switching it from left to right like a good one. And and he's got that in his locker. And and this is what you want. These guys have got the talent. We need to extract performance. You extract performance by creating competition in a competitive environment. That's what you do. Now he has to now be fair and have a good, uh, you know, good. Word I'm looking for meritocracy. Is that the right word? A good, yeah, that'll work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he needs to he needs to follow that mantra. And people that do well in training and do well and do the things you want them to do, they play. And if you don't, you don't play. Simple. Yeah, I, it's tough, right? I, I think as as Arsenal fans, like one of the things we've been traumatized by is just a deterioration of talent in our squad, and so. These conversations are more relevant when you have less talent than they are when you have more. And the reason I say that is, I think when you have some super elite talent, okay, you can sort of faint at there being competition, but there's not competition. 
Like, there's no competition for Mohamed Salah's place, really. There's no competition for Lukaku's place, really. There's no competition for Kevin De Bruyne's place, really. And that's not to say they don't work their ass off and earn it anyway. But like, and those are teams that have great players, but the super elite players just play. They just do. And so I think we're, you know, the Granite Shackers of the world, you want competition to keep them sharp. And the reason you want that is you're not quite sure he's the level you want to be at. And so you want someone to come compete for that, take that place and be that level. I mean, who is the player that we look at and say, there's no competition for his place? I mean, maybe Tierney is good enough where we'd say, no, nah, he just starts. Um, maybe maybe it's, it, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, mate. I look at it another way. If we, let's, let's talk about Salah, should we? So Salah's brilliant, man. We all know that. And if he's, if he's healthy, he plays. But if you're the manager, what you need to do is, is to get a player that de-risks Salah. And they did that with Jota, really. He's three players in one, isn't he? He can play literally all three positions. So you de-risk your elite front line. And that's what we need to do. And De Bruyne, I mean, he's carried injuries last couple of seasons. They've lost leagues due to his injuries. But they've de-risked him by adding Greenwich yeah. in. It's a slightly yeah. different different thing than competition, though, right? It's not that you're yeah. then saying those players have Absolutely. to like, earn their spot so much. No, it's it's another surely way. That, surely that's competition. And you, you already I don't, have I don't comp- believe that. Well, do hang you, on. You've you, got competition you, between Mane and Salah to begin with, just to perform on the pitch. So Klopp's smart, right? He doesn't need a third player for those two to compete. He's got Firmino and Jota. But if either one of those, if any of those three drop off, he's got that. If you look across his midfield, he's got absolute shitloads of competition. So yeah, like yeah, he's, he's, none of those guys are, are Salah or Mane. I mean, maybe Tiago, but that's about he's it. Got Thiago, so he's got Tiago. He's got Fabinho. He's got, of course there's competition there. And uh, you go like, you can't look at city and say just because Kevin De Bruyne will almost always start, but he doesn't always, always start. And he doesn't always start in his favorite position. Uh, like you can't look at city and say that is not a team built on competition. I think like, it's a team built on rotation and depth, right? I, to me, I think it's we're splitting hairs, and I don't want to do that because I think. Oh the, man, the, that has to be competition. I don't see it that way. I mean, I think the a elite city. players always play. No, I don't think there's competition for wow. the the. I mean, yes, like Sterling has competition for his place. Absolutely, totally agree there. I'm saying that like Mares. Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, absolutely. And and by the way, again, I don't want to split hairs. The midfielders. I think I mean, what I'm saying is because we aren't City, right? We can't have two first elevens of world class players. So it's sort of a, a red herring as as a as a um, comparison. I think what I'm trying to say is there's a balance here. You want competition in the squad. You also want to have enough elite talent, guys that you know you can write their name in ink on that team sheet. And so I think we're sort of between periods right now that like a Thomas party, I think we'd agree if he's fit, he plays. There's no one in our team that takes Thomas party out of the team right now. I don't think anyway. Um, But, but well, can I ask one specific um, role here, Clive? Cause like, I think the Balogun one is interesting. That's one where I think he maybe slipped between the cracks a bit with our, our strategy in the summer. He could have gone out on loan. He didn't, he stayed, do you do you think that that was maybe a missed opportunity to find him a place? Because I I do worry worries the wrong word. I hate saying worry because then I have to tap the mug. Um, I, I do think that he is a player who probably would benefit from playing senior football a lot right now, and there's just really no path to that. Yes, we'll see. Um, let, let's have a look at him actually first, because the first game he played, he was sort of thrown in late because of the COVID situations, and he looked okay, but I don't think the system suited him on that day. I, I don't think he did at all. We should have changed systems, but that day was so disorganized, right? So I'm trying to scratch that Brentford game from my memory. It's only Europa League games last year, he looked really bright, 
So you can obviously handle that slightly lower level. We've got Wimbledon game mid next week, and I'm interested in seeing him. I might even go to that game actually to to get a close up look of how he's moving and where he, you know, where he is in the hierarchy as such. I think he needs a big moment, as does Martinelli. I said the other week, I think they need to play together to get them going. I don't think the four-two-three-one suits these younger people. They need to, you know, play in tighter distances. Whatever we do, keep them close together. They can use each other's physicality and speed to, have to support each other. So that's the thing I'm looking for, really. I think at some point, maybe second half of the season, see how we go health-wise, see what happens. I mean, Lacazette is here, but from January, he can talk to somebody, you know, and go on a free. So his, you know, his mentality may be with us now. That could fade, and suddenly you go up the hierarchy quite quickly. We have a 30-year-old and a 32-year-old. He takes his one kick on the ankle, and that doesn't heal so quick when you get older. So things can change very, very quickly. His job is just to keep fit, really, really fit. So when the opportunity comes, he can grasp it. So these are the guys that have to work exceptionally hard in between games. So their, their levels are at the levels we need to see them, because we don't give them any... Any break at all, we just say, well, it's your chance, now you go and play. And they have, <laughs> they have to kill themselves to get to those levels, right? So we saw what happened to Mate Niles in the last 20 minutes last week. He, he broke down and because he hasn't played, right? So that's a challenge. I hope I think by January, actually said his, his lower half hurt. <laughs> yeah, his lower half. <laughs> his whole lower half broke down and rigor mortis set in, right? So, um, so that's what happened to him. So... I would, I would hope, see how, how he does in the first half of the season when there are the Carling Cup games, etc. But I would hope by January, if he's not getting enough football, he needs to get a second half of the season at a club. Like Willett did last year, like Maitland Niles did. I think he's just got into the first team squad. Keep him around for the first half of the season. But by January, if he's not getting the minutes, he needs to play against men on a regular basis. So, And there'll be loads of teams desperate to get out of their leagues or desperate not to get relegated that will take him. So that's why I yeah. think it's for future will be. And, and you sort of crystallized something in my mind, Paul, now that I think about it, about any of this, which is that, like, I do believe in competition. I, I think it is important. I think it is important for some players more than others. I think there's a couple of components. First of all, I think there are certain players who don't need it, right? Who push themselves hard and deliver their best. They're competing against, like, if you're Salah, you're competing against all the other worldies. Yeah, you want you want to be a Ballon d'Or candidate, right? So, so you don't need like some Tyro behind you pushing you. But I think I think where I I have a complicated relationship with with the idea of competition is basically, and and you really struck it for me with the city comparison is, if Granite Shaka is being pushed for his place by Mohamed El Neni. Well, that's a problem because what you're basically saying is someone we don't think is good enough is pushing our starter. Sambi Lakanga is good enough to be competition for Shaka. And that really is it, right? If you want to have competition in the side, you want the player pushing him to be someone that you think could be even better than your starter. Where I think I, I, I fall is I'd rather have an elite first option and no clear backup to them than two sort of six out of 10 options pushing each other. And so it is a hard balance to strike. I do think midfield is interesting because now we do have some interesting competition. We can drop a central midfielder and go double tens with Odegaard and Smith-Rowe. We can, uh, you know, take Shaq out and put Sambi in. Maitland-Niles had an interesting performance that gives a different way of playing in midfield. Mm. You know, and Thomas Party is not going to be fit every game. I think, I mean, to be fair, he was at Madrid, so maybe he will again, but uh, at Letico, but... Let's do this. I want to tilt over to that tactical discussion of how we can set up the midfield and maybe how we do it this weekend against Burnley. Um, but before I do that, I want to straighten something out. Your teeth. 
<laughs> did I land? Did I stick the landing on that one? Um, you know, we are uh, very lucky to have Candid Co. sponsor this podcast, and it, it is a company that that is sort of relevant to me because when I was young, I had a pretty traumatic experience with orthodonture and uh, I had a dentist like try to take a tooth out and then he realized it was the wrong tooth and then he put it back in and it's still in my mouth to this day. But like, not great. I wore braces for years. Just an awful experience. And now with Candid, like you still get an orthodontist working on your case, but you get these clear aligners that move your teeth without braces. In six months, you'll see a difference. It's comfortable, it's easy, it's removable. So, you know, having an orthodontist do it, I think, is one of the big things that makes Candid special. I do want to say also, one of the reasons I feel really fortunate to have Candid associated with the show is because we've got Candid employees listening to the show. That's cool, right? Um, one of the guys who actually connected us to, to Candid is, is listening right now, or at least he's, he claims he does. Hi, Sam. Sam in Sweden listening to, to the Arsenal Vision podcast, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, really, it's, it comes down to a case of having a company that that still takes this seriously, that works with orthodontists, that follows your case start to finish so you can get straighter teeth. But it's not just about getting those straighter teeth. It's about doing it with comfort, doing it with ease, you know, with, with clear aligners so people don't even have to know that you're doing it. Um, you know, you think about all the ways that we, we do things for ourselves. And, you know, whether it's like months and months in the gym trying to exercise or a diet or whatever it is, this is something that that is really e easy to do, accessible, and, and works with orthodontists. So let me give you the, the details. Help you get a straighter, brighter smile you've always wanted. Right now, you can save $75 on your Candid Starter Kit, which is pretty cool, when you get started from home. Or you can book an appointment at a Candid Studio. So it's really your choice if you want to do it remotely or not. Go to CandidCo.com, CandidCo.com slash vision, and use code vision. CandidCo.com slash vision, use code vision. And you can take advantage of the limited time offered to save $75 on your starter kit. Candidco.com uh, slash vision code vision. Always nice to work with a company that also, you know, listens to the pod. So that's pretty cool. And then uh, just one more thing that I want to tell you about, if you can indulge me. Because, you know, one of the things that we have been talking about is, uh, is uh, cell phone service, wireless service, right? And... Like I have young kids and they're going to be getting, you know, at some point my, my oldest daughter will be wanting a phone and it's good to give them a phone, right? For safety. Like if they need to call you, if they're in trouble or something like that. And you look at the cost of mobile service and you're like, really, am I going to have to do this? Well, with Mint Mobile, they've got a secret sauce, right? Mint Mobile, they got rid of all the overhead. That's the thing. They don't have stores. They don't have storefronts. Their secret sauce is that they are the first company that is uh, that sells wireless service online only. So by cutting out the retail stores, there's no crazy overhead that costs that get passed on to you, no mystery fees, right? Just good wireless service. Some things you should know about them, okay? They uh, have unlimited talk, text, high-speed data on the nation's largest 5G network that's here in the United States. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan, so you don't have to get some specific phone. Keep your same phone number, right? And... If you're not 100% satisfied, there's a seven-day money-back guarantee. So you can just try it. It's 15 bucks a month. Just try it. If you love it, I mean, that could save you literally hundreds a month, thousands a year. And if you don't, you have seven days totally uh, risk-free. So there you go. When I got it, like, it was crazy. You got the SIM card, popped it in my iPhone, and now I have $15 a month mobile service. Like, it's really, really easy how it works, and, and the, the service is, is fantastic. So go to mintmobile.com slash vision. That's mintmobile.com slash vision. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month, mintmobile.com slash vision. And if you have like a kid that's going to be a teenager or something like that, it just, 
absolutely no reason not to do it. Uh, save you a lot of money and solve the problem of expensive wireless service. Mintmobile.com uh, slash vision. Clive, that enough of that? Yep. Football I feel time. I, I, I stumbled and staggered through that, if I'm being honest, but that's because uh, I was trying to find all the relevant information that I needed while trying to talk into a microphone, and I, I did I did a mediocre job. I give myself a, a, a 4 out of 10 on that one, so I apologize. Uh, I just wish some we had somebody on the bench we could have step in next You too. And, yeah. Look, man, someone put, someone pushing me for competition, yeah. talking about straightening your teeth and getting mobile yeah. and shaving your privates and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, so, well, Paul, Let's let's talk tactics. Yeah. One of the things that I, I thought was really interesting about the Norwich game was the switch uh, at the, about the hour mark. Mm-hmm. Samby comes off. Maitland-Niles moves out to right back. And instead of bringing in another midfielder, we bring in uh, Smith-Rowe. And we played mm-hmm. with Party Smith-Rowe and Odegaard. And I'm really curious about how it worked because rewatching it again, it's still not clear. Odegaard dropped deep quite a bit. I wouldn't say yeah. he was a double pivot per se, but it wasn't like a clear 4-3-3 with two eights. One was deeper, one was more advanced for sure. Um, I'm curious, yeah. do you, and again, reading tea leaves, you can, you can get embarrassed pretty quickly. I'm not sure we're going to start to see that from the start in games, but we did use that sort of system quite a bit last season at the tail end of the season as well. So yeah. what's your take on whether it might be Samby and Party to start the Burnley game. Now, to be fair, Arteta uh, alluded to the potential that Party might not be fit to start again, that they want to ease him in. So it might be Maitland-Niles and, and Sam again. Or do you think this idea of Odegaard, Smithrow, and, and to be fair, I think he'd only do that with Party if he's available to start, but that system might be the direction we're headed. Um, I think it might be kind of a transition year. Uh, like if that's the ultimate goal, I think this could still be a transition year where we're basically 4-2-3-1, but depending on game state in particular, because when did we do it? We did it on 60 minutes when we were chasing right the about, goal yep. against mm-hmm. Norwich. Yep. Uh, we did it against West Ham in the 3-3 when we were trying to go for 4-3. Um, we brought on Smith Rowe as kind of a second pivot, but he wasn't really. He was quite pushed up. Uh, we did it a bit last year with Danny in some games, Danny Ceballos, where he started as a pivot. But if we had possession, if we had control, he'd slide up. Uh, there were some few, a few other tactical tweaks going on with Ceballos at the same time, where he was also filling in for Chaka, who was heading off to le- uh, left full back and stuff. But... The, and the Odegaard part of it is, as you pointed out, a really big uh, factor in this because Odegaard does drop deep. Now, he's always tended to do that. He did it a lot against Norwich, and he continued to do it. And it's just getting a lot more flexible. Um, but I think it's kind of a slider thing where, depending on game state, depending on if we've got control, if we've got possession, you you know, if you're going to do that, if you're going to have our two eights pushing forward, then you need cover for party with Tamiyasu uh, stepping in. So we got a kind of a two, three, five thing going with somebody. So um, it, it's players learning the system. No, we can't have the two eights up in the top line, three attackers and two full backs. We're up to like the five channels been filled by uh, seven, eight players. So uh, you got Odegaard up there too. So it, it's the intelligence for the fullbacks to know when to come in and provide that cover to be part of that three in midfield. Um, I think again, I think this is a really interesting game against Burnley and it's going to, uh, in, in some ways, I look to the defence and, 
yeah, the midfield more than the attack in terms of what we'd want to do in this. I think it's going to be a really interesting game for if we go white again, I assume we will. Um, and then you got party and say Sambi um, to win second balls. So uh, uh, Gabrielle's pretty aggressive. Uh, we're not going to win all the headers against Burnley anyway, and we're not going to win them with white or even holding. So it's uh, all about the second balls. And I think balls. And I think t- uh, Tommy, Party, uh, Sambi, and maybe even is it a shout for Maitland Niles to come in and 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 be a more aggressive, more of a kind of a cockalow role in midfield? I had a conversation with somebody about this during the week. Now I think it's more likely it's going to be Sambi. And you and I, I think, initially were quite uh, critical of Maitland-Niles in this game. But on the rewatch, he did a lot of good stuff. And His second half was really interesting for sure. Yeah. I mean, the way he – you know, the one thing that, that that I saw, Paul, that's really nice, and it's a contrast with how our midfield has played in the past, both he and Sambi, they provoke a reaction from their opposite number. And they pull them. So so what Maitland-Niles would do if they dropped off is he would attack the space in front of him. Sam did as well. And it would pull someone forward. Now, unfortunately, Maitland-Niles didn't necessarily get the next available pass right. There was that one in particular where he carries it forward and on the on the jog, he has to sort of hit it to Aubameyang, who's in. He's in. And a yeah. better pass, and that that's the part that we wonder, can Maitland-Niles do it? But the reason he was in is by carrying it towards those those Norwich players and provoking them to have to step out to him. Aubameyang was able to utilize his his skill at finding the space to attack and run into. And, you know, we see Shaka play a lot of really interesting passes out to the wing and he can ping it and this, that, and the other. But it's when you really drive at the opposition that you can yeah. pull them out of place. And it's it's a big, big change in dynamic having midfielders who do that. Yeah. And then you, like, I, I still think it'll be Sambi, but it would not be uninteresting to see Maitland-Niles against Burnley in particular because he has the physicalities, the recovery, a bit of that kind of coquelin uh, ability to get there physically, to win the ball. Um, so I could see Arteta being tempted for the first 60 minutes to look at Maitland-Niles there. And like in the front three, I kind of like smith robing there um, again, for second balls to jump on the scraps to drive forward because I think this will be a very back and forward game. Uh, we talked about this before. Burnley probably will not be sitting back in a low block. They'll be competing in midfield, pressing, pushing, going for headers, uh, fairly narrow, um, and and really trying to make the battleground that midfield. So Sambi is just a little light, a little young. Uh, I just wonder, like, I love Sambi, and he, he he's absolutely a good shout for starting this based on the fact we've only three to pick from, and uh, he's certainly fit and in form. But I wonder if there's a temptation there <clears throat> to go with Maitland-Niles and Party. Um, Smith-Rowe is one of the, the front three, so he can drop into midfield and, and feast on the scraps and drive forward and create transitions. Um but I think it'll be four two three one, and if we need to chase a goal, it'll look a bit more four three three, maybe with Smithrow joining the midfield with Odegaard, whether he's coming off the wing or not. I guess those are my thoughts on it. Yeah, I I have to admit that I'm not really sure. And Clive, one of the reasons I'm not sure is as he talked about Party uh, on whether Party is fit to start at Burnley. He is there. He has been training in and out this week. His load has to be managed. 
No comment. Because it was the early stages of the injury, what he had. But he is pushing everyone like he always does, and he wants to be involved. We will make the decision at the weekend what is best for him. I mean, you said, I think, in the match post-Norwich that he learned an important lesson, and one of the lessons was not rushing party back and losing him again. Yeah. Um, you know, and and that continues to obviously be a lesson that is important. So I'm curious if you think, based on those comments, that he might be inclined not to go with party. What I will say is, I don't think he would do the Odegaard Smith Rowe thing as twin tens, twin eights, whatever you want to call them, absent party to be there as a really experienced and, and competent base of that of that three. But I don't, you know, I don't really know if if party's going to be fit to start based on those comments. So maybe two things. One, you know, just look into the crystal ball and, and say what you think he'll do, but also how you see that dynamic where Smith Rowe and, and Odegaard play together. Top bins did an article on the, on the two of them as double tens that I thought was good talking about the difference in the way they, they sort of complement each other. Odegaard drifting right half space, Smith Rowe drifting left, you know, the way they do different things in different areas of the pitch. So do you have a thought on whether we might see that against Burnley, if not from the start at some point? Yeah, I think um, I've got a feeling for Smith Rowe in this game, funny enough, um, for starting the game uh, instead of Odegaard. I think um, I'd rather see Odegaard come on a little bit later. I think Party will. I'm not sure he's going to start. I, I can't gauge the fitness from where I sit, and but he definitely wasn't fit for the for the Norwich game, or he would have started. And and basically, when he came on, he did show he did labour towards the end, and you can always tell with him how he runs. And so high ankle sprains, as we've seen from Lacazette and we've seen from LeBron, they hang around a little bit. So be careful. You know, be careful with them. I'd much rather see him try out against Spurs absolutely tip-top. So if you need to do even one hour, the first hour or the last half hour here, I, I, I'm all right with it because I've seen enough from Sambi and Maitland-Niles to know they know how to play. And the way we sort of get around them with a bit more of in- industry with Smith-Rowe and maybe Saka for this away game is not the worst thing in the world, right? So... Or he may go into a wing-back situation, sorry, into a three-at-the-back situation with wing-backs. And again, that might work for this game with Burnley playing two strikers. It's an option. Do we have to do it? We don't have to do it because we've got flexible players. We can still stick in the back four we played last week. I think they can deal with the with the two-striker system that Burnley play where they whack it downfield. They try to win the first ball and they fill up behind with Brown Hill and Westwood coming in behind they pop it out to Dwight McNeil, who whipped in an unbelievable cross, and they try to smash the back post, right? So I think it doesn't matter what system we do, as long as we know what they're going to do. And if I'm them, I'm going to drop it. I'm going to stick Chris Wood onto Ben White, stand on his pretty white boots, and uh, make him feel my presence, right? So um, that's what I would do. So how we get around that situation, how we win the second balls is really important. So if we have a Shaka and a party, we know we've got another six-footer and we can – sit in front and sweep in front, but we haven't got those. We haven't got Shaka, for example, and we may have party. So we'll see. The most important thing is we have party for an extended period of time. Last year, we rushed him back, and we had an absolutely terrible run to Christmas. And if we'd have just waited and just say, look, we're not ready for North London Derby, just waited, we wouldn't have had that terrible run. I'm convinced of it. And we would have got, you know, six to ten more, and made eight poor points, and who knows where we'd end up in the league. So... Expensive lesson nearly cost him his job, and once he got the once he got Smith Rowe back, party back, Odegaard back, the season sort of turned around a little bit. So, I would be very, very careful. Only do it if you're 100 percent sure. And um, 
And the one thing, I, one person I wouldn't listen to on this is Party himself. I would listen to all the medical people around him because he mm. seems to be somebody who would run over broken glass to play. And, uh, yeah, that's what I, I said year. that basically. Yeah, oh, did he? Did he? Okay. Yeah, and we can't have that because that he's need, pushing to play. Him. That he's desperate to play. Yeah. Um, well, let me, let me ask you, Clive, because I, I think the interesting thing is having watched a bit of the Everton game against Burnley, like when they switched to the back four, they really found a lot of joy running through their midfield and they wound up, you know, beating them pretty comfortably. Yeah. Burnley obviously did the things they do. They fouled a lot. They, they try to break up your possession play with a lot of rotational fouling. Then they'll sit in a low block and block your passes. They'll try to get it up the pitch quickly and, and put in a lot of crosses. I mean, we know what to expect from them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do think that this is a game where you know you don't you don't really need a possession game. You need to get the ball up the pitch quickly so that they can't engage you and and you know and cr- crack in crash into you in your half. So I'm curious how you think you balance that because like I, I almost don't know what a double pivot does against Burnley in the sense that like they're not going to attack you through the midfield. Right. You know, they, they they're not. You don't need that shield in front of the back four. And you want you want to create verticality so you can get it up the pitch quickly because they're going to come smash you when you have the ball in midfield in your own half. So, is there an argument that maybe there's just nothing for that second midfielder to do that you don't need him there? No. I, so the way, what I would do, if say they're going to go four two three, I would play a double pivot because you've got to be there to make sure that you don't allow their forwards to hold the ball. So they're going to want to pin the centre backs, hold the ball. So you midfield to come back and nibble from the front. You need that. You need people sweeping in front so to make sure they can't just do the entry pass like Lukaku did. You know the entry pass into Lukaku? was really simple from 20, 30 yards away. You have to shield those entry passes in. You don't want them to go through our midfield that way. And also, the reason why I don't, I'd have like the double tens in this game is you create that square and you'd have a double ten sitting behind us in the midfield, sitting between Tarkovsky and me and sitting in between the lines and forcing them to make collision decisions. Right, So you get a Bamiyang to stretch to play and you force them to make collision decisions. Do I go in, step in, or do I hold my shake because the Bamiyang's going to run in behind me? And that alone will force them back. And once you force them back, you're making the games longer for them and forcing them longer. It's up to our aerial ability to see what happens then. Everton did, they scored the equaliser with three at the back, which is a centre-half goal, nothing to do with the system. And then they put an extra midfielder in. And when they did, they controlled central areas. And this is what I would do, because... They don't. They do play two stick-on strikers that stay high. Ashley Barnes is dropping a little bit, but not much. He may sit on a holding midfielder and give him a kick every now and again, but he doesn't. He doesn't want to stay there too much. He wants to press you back, and so you can outnumber the two in midfield, and that's what Everton did, and that's what I would try to do. And this is why how we get behind those lines with one of our two. I don't care which one of tens play, whether it's Saka Smithrow or Odegaard. Two of those will play. All three will have bits in the game. But their ability to show their feet, turn around and escape is the key to this game and getting onto their back onto their back two, who are great when the ball is straight and in the air and they can get close to people. When you start dancing them and moving them, then they're not so great. So that's going to be the key for the game. Now, do we do it in wing-backs? Um, I'm not so sure. It doesn't matter. Same system in the interior. You just protect your outside a little bit more. But I'm not worried, really. I think the players that we had on on display last week we're able to do lots of things in game, so it, didn't, it doesn't really worry me what we what we end up doing. But as long as we can outnumber that central area, protect our centre backs when we need to, be competitive, but really up the tempo and speed of how we play, move them around, dictate the game, 
playing the areas we want to play, not the areas they want to play. And I think we'll be fine. Mm. I th- it, it's, an, it's so interesting because I think that what we really want to start to see is a, a clear a clear direction tactically. And then you get into these conversations about the game and each game maybe demands something a little different. So you're caught between two stools, right? Like the the stool of wanting to say like, where's our clear plan A? What do we do? What are we about? And then that part of you that wants to be like, well, maybe we tweak it for this one. (laughs) This is why I never worried about, you know, the Arteta's football thing. Now football's football, right? You just, you play the opposition that's in front of you and you tweak your system and tactics to make sure you dominate them. You know, so there are principles of play that, that we need to follow, but I'm not too worried about the same shape, same system, no, no, no. Move yeah. the ball quickly, move the ball and, quickly. And then there's just the issue of, like, will Arteta throw up a surprise? Will, you know, does he feel like he needs to get Martinelli a game or Lacazette a game? Will he, you know, will he rotate a bit to to get players on the pitch? I think we're definitely at a point where we don't have the luxury of appeasing the players. We need points, we need wins, um, so he's got to play the team that he thinks can get a result, but he, he does have ways feel- to go. Doesn't it feel like a game for Ramsdale? Like, just... Well, I assume it's Ramsdale's job now, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Ramsdale should play, for definite. He's a yeah. keeper. But if, you're gonna, if you were going to pick games for keepers, this is a Ramsdale game, right? Nice and physical, uh, happy to bang up against uh, center forwards, presence in the area. There's going to be set pieces, crosses. I mean, this is way simplistic and maybe Ramsdale is shite, but uh, this like this seems like a no-brainer for the day you want to pick Ramsdale and swap him in for Leno. I know that's not quite what we're doing at the moment, but this, when I look across the back, uh, you know, Tommy Yasu, uh, Gabriel, Ramsdale, um, the only question you'd have is, is this a game for holding? Uh, you know, a guy who loves the physical duel, etc. But White's going to be. There's going to be a really interesting game if White starts, because he'll give us a lot in nipping in, getting second balls, beating. If it's not coming in at six foot three, uh, in terms of the ball, he'll nip in ahead of the guy, ahead of Chris Wood or whoever's on him, and nip it off him. Um, uh, he, there'll obviously be times we wish he was a few inches higher or jumped a few inches higher, but could also be a good game for him if if it all starts to click between Tommy, Gabrielle, and White. Because um, White's, like, he's a very combat... He loves the duels. He loves the winning it in midfield. He loves nipping in ahead of his guy. So uh, probably won't feel it at the, when we're doing the post-match analysis but right now i think that's a an interesting tactical battle and if we can get smith row from the wing to drop into midfield or as as clive talked about if we had smith row odegaard who's a really good busy uh, pressing feet on the scraps and either and whoever two of our three midfielders um, I think that's it. I think we're there for the second balls and kind of a very transition kind of football. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting battle. <clears throat> yeah, and the referee always plays an important role in these games. I think, yeah. you know, Burnley's going to want to rotationally foul. They're going to want to break up your play that way. And if the yellow cards get handed out, it really changes what they can do and the extent to which they can stop you from playing through the thirds. I, I, I find myself weirdly optimistic about this game because I don't think they have much about them uh, in the center of the par- uh, center of the park. And I think that we can play through that area <clears throat> better than we maybe would with Shaka there. 
I, a team we've struggled against, though, isn't it? Over the yeah. last couple of years, in particular, we haven't really got the results. So that's that's the worry. Yeah, well, they, it's a hard they place to go. They're going to complain when they don't get any calls, and if our players yeah. get injured, they'll be mad at them. It's it's the most annoying ground in the league right now. I think. Yeah, they they would they haven't won a game this season yet, so they would they will fancy us. I think last year they were struggling until until they came to the Emirates and they stole a one 0 with literally no shots on target. Right? So and and that got them going. They got a run before Christmas and that saved that saved them. And now Sean Dyche has got a new contract. I mean, that's how tenuous the game is. And did he say thank you? I don't think no, he did. He got he got a new contract and um there's been troubles there with the ownership and investment, for example. I looked at him against Everton, I had a bit of a watch actually, and I looked at their left back Taylor and thought, man, if we get on you, you're done. Because, you know, if, if Andros Townsend can do that to you, then I think Saka or Pepe can do a lot more else to you. And I think that's where I would go, straight to their left back, and I would try to destroy him and destabilize him. If you do that, you destabilize me, and he's the rock of their team. So that's why I would go a little bit more right-sided than left-sided, try to get some isolation plays on that side and really attack that area. I thought I think they were very weak down that side. So, hey, let's just we're better than them, right? Let's go and do it. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not worried. Let's go and do it. Going to be a lot of interesting decisions for Mikel to make. I think the midfield is among the most interesting. Um, you know, whether we do see some of that sort of more four three three ish system, whether we see Samby and Maitland Niles get the call again with with Party not fit to start. Very interesting, but obviously a game where we need to pick up three points again. So let's hope we do it. Uh, let's leave it there. We did a Premier League roundup yesterday on the Patreon side. If you, if you want to get our thoughts on what's going on around the league, we have that for you. And we'll have more to come, as well as an instant reaction on Saturday and a regular pod again on Monday and on and on and on. Hopefully, we'll see you in London. Uh, pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Clive. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. For those of you who like your pods under an hour, we're at Ash 59.54. Well, you know, those of you who like your pods under an hour, what are you doing? We don't do that. But we love you. We do. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Burnley New. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 